you would again uh, take out your Bibles and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll be uh, looking today at verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 23. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head above all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who who fills all and all. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would apply that word to us. Help us to understand your word. Help us to have spiritual eyes, hearts which are enlightened. That we would know the hope that you have called us to. That we would know the riches of of your glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us. We thank you, God, for your grace. Help us till deeply in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures regularly remind God's people to remember. We're constantly told to remember. Remember and know the mighty deeds of God. We see that in the Old Testament. God is reminding them, remember, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Remember. Remember the mighty power of God. Why does the Bible remind us to remember over and over? Why are we called to remember? I think it's because we're prone to forget We forget what God has done. You ever find yourself in a spiritual desert? What I mean is that you're a believer, but you feel low in your life. You feel like maybe your batteries have been depleted, as it were. Perhaps your life feels out of control. You're not handling things very well. You, you love the Lord, but your life has become a struggle, even hopeless. It is at times like this 
that we need to be reminded again of the hope which we have in Jesus Christ. We need to know, once again, the hope which belongs to those who trust and rest in Him. The glorious inheritance which is ours, and the immeasurable power of God which has been exercised to those who believe. Paul, here in Ephesians, wants the wonders of the triune God to be ever before our mind's eye. He wants his readers to see with greater clarity the blessings which have come to them. You and I need to remember this too. We need to be reminded of God's goodness and the goodness of the good news. You and I need to understand the spiritual blessings which are ours through Jesus Christ. Not because this is the silver bullet which solves all of our problems here and now and all of a sudden your life is wonderful and happy. That's not what we're saying. But because we are not a hopeless people. We may suffer for a little while now, but our souls have been entrusted to a faithful creator and savior who is good. And so Paul begins his letter, uh, or had begun as we've been studying it, he began in displaying the spiritual blessings of God as he shows the, the whole of the Trinity and the blessings. And here he wraps up by expressing his thanksgiving to God for having been regenerated in their faith and assures the Ephesians of the fact that they are in his prayers. He says he's heard of their faith. Now, Paul had planted the church in Ephesus, but there were many new believers among them. There were many in Ephesus he did not know personally. And so he had heard about their faith. He had heard of their love for the other saints. And so for all of these things, he gives thanks and he prays that the Lord would give them wisdom and knowledge from the Holy Spirit that their eyes may be enlightened, so they may apprehend the greatness of the hope which is rooted in the call of God upon each of their lives. And so after having highlighted the spiritual blessings which belong to the believer, Paul transitions and he writes this, for this reason. Now, what is the reason that Paul is referring to? He says, for this reason. Well, it refers to what we have been studying previously, the whole preceding clause, especially verse 13, which says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Because the Ephesian Christians have been adopted, redeemed, and obtained an inheritance through Christ, having believed, having heard and believed, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit, Paul gives thanks for this reason, because of all of these wonderful things that have happened, as you know Jesus Christ as Lord, Paul says, I give thanks for this. It would be expected that the Ephesians were filled with joy and with gratitude in their conversion. And Paul assures them that he joins them in their gratitude. The faith 
that they have in Jesus Christ, the love that they have towards their fellow believers, results from a change in them through the Spirit. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a reason to give thanks. So Paul wants them to know. He remembers them in his prayer. He has been praying for them. The marvelous changes which have come about by God's grace in the lives of these believers was reason to give thanks. And so Paul begins and brings these saints before the throne of God in prayer. And you'll note that there are three petitions that he specifically brings. The first one we see in verse 17, that the Lord, or, I'm sorry, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now the spirit of wisdom here is what we may call godly wisdom. That is, wisdom which comes from God. So Paul is praying for the Ephesians that they would have true wisdom. The kind of wisdom which comes from above. Godly wisdom, Proverbs tells us, is to have insight, to know how to deal wisely in righteousness, in justice, and in equity. Being wise is to be prudent, to use discretion. In short, to deal with others with knowledge and righteousness in the fear of the Lord. That kind of wisdom comes from God Himself. And is specifically a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit which He's already given thanks for the fact that they've been sealed with. This is what Paul wants for the Ephesians. This is what we should want for one another. That they may be filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they would have true understanding. And so thinking back over the broader context, the believers in Ephesus have been filled with the Spirit. Paul is thankful. They are partakers of the heavenly blessings and the various graces which have been poured out because they had heard the word of truth and believed and were sealed with the Spirit. So they are in the kingdom. And yet... The Apostles' prayer on their behalf is that they would be further blessed by the Spirit with true wisdom. A wisdom which comes from instruction in God's Word and an understanding in the work and ways of the Lord. In fact, he prays, we see, for the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now you might say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for to have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation? Well, what he's not praying for is that they would be given some kind of secret knowledge or that God would somehow speak through them. This is not what he's praying for. He's not talking about new revelations of the Spirit like many in our own day claim. What he is talking about is not the kind of insight or revelation which came to inspired men, such as the apostles and prophets. What he is talking about is an inward spiritual illumination. That is to say, the Holy Spirit helping you to read and understand, comprehend the Word of God. 
Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 where it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? We have the mind of Christ. So having the mind of Christ, an inward revelation or illumination is what Paul has in mind here. The Lord instructs you and me through His Word and His Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit illuminates our minds and makes His Word comprehensible to us. Paul is praying that the Ephesians would have spiritual insight into God's revealed Word. This is what he's praying for. This is the kind of thing that all believers should pray for and seek. Each of us should pray, as we read God's Word, that His Spirit would open in greater measure its wonderful truths. That as we, as we open our Bibles, as we read it, that we would understand what we're reading. That we would comprehend that our, our minds would know. Paul wants the Ephesians to have spiritual insight into God's revealed word. We should pray for one another in this. In fact, I would ask that you would pray for me. You should pray for me. Pray for me during the week as I prepare to preach. Pray for your pastor as I study and meditate on the Word that would have a spirit of insight and illumination. Beloved, I need your prayer. And by the way, this is to your benefit, is it not? feels a little bit funny to ask you to pray for me, and yet this is the very thing that we should be doing, and it's for your good as well. God's Word is the manifestation of the nature of God and His excellencies and is a source of life for us. But we need the Spirit to help us to understand rightly what has been revealed. And when we ask for this, the Spirit is pleased to make the things of God clear to us. For the things which a Savior taught, we only need to ask. God speaks through His Word and Spirit. Are you praying that you want to understand His Word? Beloved, pray to God the Father in the name of Christ Jesus that He would, by His Word and Spirit, give you a knowledge and wisdom of Himself. Pray for that. You and I need to have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him so that our eyes and hearts may be enlightened and that we would know the hope that we have been called to. Paul prays for this. In verse 18, for what we might call spiritual eyesight. He prays for the eyes of the heart. Now this sounds a little bit funny, doesn't it? It's kind of strange to think, Oh, my heart doesn't have eyes, does it? When the scriptures speak of the heart, it's not necessarily speaking of that organ beating in your chest. Rather, it's speaking of the center of your being, the the pivot of your feelings and faith. It would include your mind, your will, your gut. In fact, in uh, in the Bible, the word which is usually translated hard really is actually speaking of the gut. If you've ever been worried, where do you feel it? 
you feel it right here. When you feel deeply about something, you feel that in your gut. This is all part of your being manifesting itself physically. This is a place of feeling. This is your center, the essence. It is who you are as a human being. This is what is talked about when it speaks of the heart. So Paul's prayer is for the believer's very being to be enlightened, to be given open eyes, if you will, of understanding. This is the effect of the Holy Spirit in you. When you are filled with the Spirit, the whole soul is illuminated by the Spirit of God. Light and knowledge, including ideas of holiness and and joy, as well as intellectual understanding, comprehension. These are given at conversion. Of course, not necessarily in fullness. You and I still have room to grow in this life as we grow in our knowledge and understanding. Certainly, as believers, you know more now than you knew on the day you became a believer, right? Lord willing, you know more as you grow and mature in the faith. We all have room to grow, but there is spiritual change which takes place in the Christian. This is what the Lord Jesus was speaking about in John 8. When he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As a new creature in Christ, you would no longer desire to walk in the darkness of the world. You want to walk in the light, for Jesus is the light. Previously, you did not fight against sin, but now you do fight against sin. Before, you didn't desire holiness and righteousness. But if you're a Christian, now you do desire righteousness and holiness. Your will has been changed. And this is because, through the Holy Spirit, you were given spiritual eyes. Previously, you were blind, but now you see. People need hearts which have spiritual eyes which are enlightened. And the light which signs into the believer is Jesus Christ himself because he is the light of the world. In Christ and by his spirit we enjoy illumination, joy, holiness, and have increase in the knowledge of him who he has redeemed. These spiritual eyes are so that we... In verse 18, may know what is the hope to which he has called you. This is the hope of glory, which Christ, Christ in us. In Christ, we are inheritors of a spiritual kingdom. We have a place in the spiritual realm. We are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we're a people of hope. We're looking forward to a a heavenly kingdom. We're looking forward to the new Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit ministering to us reminds us of that future hope. Since it is the case that the blinders have been lifted and we believe God has called us to a future which includes the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, which is to say... You and I are the are Christ's inheritance. Christ is inheriting his people. You see, it is the case that at conversion we gain Christ, but more to the point, he gains us. 
We are His treasured possession. He delights in His people. And at the same time, we inherit Him. God has given us an inconceivably great and glorious inheritance, greater than we can think or imagine, for we have Him and He has us. This is the inheritance. Beloved, you are adopted and inherited by the Creator of the universe in Christ. That's glorious. And so Paul's prayer, this is what he's praying. Again, remember, he's praying for believers. And he's praying that the Spirit of God will allow them to believe and see this and understand this with greater clarity. To understand the hope of glory which belongs to those who trust and rest in Christ Jesus. Paul is not wanting the Ephesians to be sort of the back row Christian who sort of skates around. He says, no, no, no. I'm praying that you would know. That you would understand. That you would know the hope the Lord has called you to. The riches of His inheritance of the saints. In verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. This is what he wants us to know. He wants us to understand the glories of what God has done in Christ. We are to know the hope of our future glory and to understand the greatness of God's power which has been exercised towards those who believe. You see, it was by God's great power in the saints that they have been changed from death to life. Previously, the unbeliever... As an unbeliever, they were dead in Christ. They've been made alive. Those who trust in Christ have been redeemed, transformed, renewed. They've been made new creatures in Him. This is not a mere moral change. This is not, well, you know, you know, Sally became a little bit better of a person. She's, I, you know, I kind of be around her now. This is not what we're talking about. It's not just simply a moral change which may come about through hard work or personal striving. This is the work of regeneration. This is the work of the Holy Spirit fundamentally changing your will. This comes about, beloved, by the almighty power of living God, namely through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the saving and transforming power which is then demonstrated and is worked out in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If the death of Christ for sinners is the supreme demonstration of love, of the love of God, and this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If the death of Christ for sinners is a supreme demonstration of God's love, then the resurrection of Christ from the dead is a supreme demonstration of His power. Which Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the love and the power of God are on full display. It's glorious. 
the glorious and all-surpassing greatness of the power of God at work in the people of Christ by His Spirit who transforms sinners. And this same Spirit who is the one, the same Spirit who regenerates us, this is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. This beloved congregation of Jesus Christ is the surpassing greatness of God's power which is at work in you. If you trust and rest in Him. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is at work in you even now. This is the power of God at work in you. Christ was raised from the dead and you, believer, went from being spiritually dead to alive in Him. Believers have been raised in Him in a spiritual sense and will be raised with Him physically in glory on the last day. And so Paul's prayer, and ours as well, is that the believers may know this truth, that we may comprehend the immeasurable greatness and power which is active within you because you have the Holy Spirit in you. This is awesome, isn't it? This power of God, which is active towards believers, this is the power which raised Jesus from the dead, this is the power which has given you new life and hope of resurrection, and this is, the, is also the power which gives Jesus the authority to rule. For Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father and is given dominion and authority and power over everything on the earth now and forever. You see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, and then after having sojourned with His disciples for a season, He was gloriously ascended into heaven. We read about this in Acts. And in the heavenly places, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. This is the place of power and authority and honor. This is exclusively given to the Son. Only the Son sits at the right hand of the Father. Even the angels are not invited to sit at the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us, No one is honored by the Father in the way, in this same way, but the Son. Only the Son. Only the Son of God can sit at the right hand of God the Father and rule because He is God. And that's the point. The, basic, the basis of the authority and dominion and power of Christ, the resurrected Lord, is because He is God. And so Christ, having been resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, is, Paul says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Paul is really just laying out for us the supremacy and awesomeness of Christ. Now think again over the broader context, because I understand as we've gone through this, Paul is just jam-packing a lot in here. And I am doing my best to help you understand it. But the immediate concern of Paul's prayer is that believers may understand the awesome blessings of their redemption, the resurrection, 
and exaltation of Christ are introduced to illustrate the great power and glory which has been demonstrated on our behalf. In Christ, we gain the great Redeemer, prophet, priest, and king, who is exalted high above all. We gain an inheritance in the God who transcends and yet is imminent. It's actually one of the things which make the Christian faith unique. You see, you and I serve a God who came as the only mediator between God and man. He was born as a man, took on flesh. Jesus lived among us. Jesus died. He rose again from the dead. Jesus understands the miseries of this life. He understands your suffering and pain. He knew it well. But this same Lord who was imminent, who was with us, is also enthroned on high, seated above in heavenly places. You see, the Savior who on flesh, who was raised from the dead, is now seated far above all as the glorious King and Lord with a name which is above every name. God has highly exalted Jesus, bestowing on Him a name that is above every, so that everyone, everywhere will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is highly exalted above all things, and all things, Paul tells us, are placed under His feet. Jesus has dominion over all things. He rules. He is head over all things, particularly His body, which is the church. Christ is the head of this church. And this is an important point to make. You see, in the church, your pastor or your elders are not the head of the church. Jesus is the head and king of His church. He is the supreme ruler over the church. He is the source of her life. He is ever present with her, his bride, sympathizing with her, loving her as a man ought to love his own flesh. The dominion which Christ exercises is different from the experience of men. You see, at creation, man was given dominion over all of the earth, over all of the creatures. And we know the story, Adam, Adam's rule was marred by his fall into sin. And so he was made to toil and suffer in this world. And Christ has come to set all things right and to put all things under his feet, which is to say that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself by making peace by the blood of his cross, echoing Colossians 1.20 The Lord Jesus Christ is the head for us. He is the one who has dominion over all things in heaven and on the earth. Most significantly, his own body, the church. Verse 23, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of Christ filling all speaks of the organic union which Christ has with his bride. 
the union that believers have with their Savior, how you are united to your Redeemer and Lord. The Lord who has dominion over all things, who has been placed as head of the church, His body, which is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the supreme head of the church. For without Jesus, there would be no church. And He fills the church with His presence, much like the temple was filled with His glory in the Old Testament. We are the temple of the living God, and His Spirit is pleased to dwell in and with us. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, who has been exalted above all things, is present in His church, exercising His authority and moving it forward with the promise that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Beloved congregation, these are awesome truths. These are the truths that you and I need to remember. In some ways, as we consider all of these truths, it's almost like drinking through a fire hose, isn't it? It's so awesome, it's like too much. This is what Paul is praying for us to comprehend. Even a little bit. And beloved, I am barely scratching the surface. But Jesus has dominion over all things in the physical and the spiritual places. He's the head of His church, His bride, His dearly beloved bride. And as He is the head, the church, His body, He fills it, He fills it with His fullness. Jesus is spiritually present with us. He is our mediator. He is our redeemer. He is our Lord. As He sits at the right hand of the Father, He knows you by name. He is interceding even now on your behalf. All of these truths, the goodness of the Gospel, these are the truths that the Apostle Paul wanted his readers to know. This is what he's praying for. Christ came to redeem, to bless, to give hope, to provide an inheritance, to rule as Redeemer, Lord, and King, with all authority and dominion as head of His body. And He fills that body with His Spirit. He is present. Even as He is transcendently ruling over all things, He is imminently present with you. For you are His people. These are the things we need to remember. And beloved, these are the things that we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded of these things because I forget. You think, well, that's kind of funny. I mean, don't you spend your whole week studying this stuff? Yes, I do. And if I forget sometimes, I can only judge you in light of my own character. I bet you do too. We're prone to forget. We're prone to wander. And so we need to preach the gospel to one another. We need to be reminded of these truths. The glorious truth. Oh, that we too would have eyes of our hearts opened. That we may comprehend these truths. That we, that even as we suffer the miseries of this life, we may rest in the sure promises of God. And so how can we know and comprehend these truths? How could we see, in a sense, the answer to Paul's prayer? 
How can we be a people who suffer and yet have great joyous hope? Knowing that Christ has provided for us a great inheritance and the glorious riches of His mercy and His grace. Well, let me encourage you by pointing back to what we call the ordinary means of grace. Maybe I'm just a simpleton. But these are the things that God has given to us, and they're ordinary. This is the Word of God with prayer and sacraments. These are the means by which God blesses His people. If you want to comprehend in deeper ways the truths which Paul has been talking about, then you need to be in the Word. You need to be reading the Word. You need to be meditating on it day and night, as the psalmist says. You and I need the preaching of the Word so we can understand His truth. We need the Word of God. We need prayer. We need to pray that God would open our eyes, that we would have the the eyes of our hearts opened, as it were, enlightened, that even as we read His Word, we may understand with greater clarity, that we may know and understand and grow in the knowledge of our Savior. And finally, as we come to the Lord's table, we look forward to celebrating that next week. As we come to communion, we celebrate... We celebrate typically on the first Sunday of the week uh, of the month, of course. This is a means by which God blesses His people. We're reminded through a sensible sign that Jesus gave Himself for us, that His body was given, that His blood was shed, and we remember and we believe. Ordinary means of grace. The Lord has not given us a lot of complicated steps. There's a sense that the Christian life is... Well, pretty simple. We do the things which God has given us. Trusting in Him. Oh, that we may know, even in part, the immeasurable power of the triune God. We might see afresh the wonders of the resurrection of our Lord and rest in Him as He rules and overrules the nations. For He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All things are come under His authority. He is the head of the church, the fullness thereof. All we need for life and godliness are found in Him. Pray for one another. Pray for your neighbors, that they would have the eyes of their hearts opened. Pray that as the Spirit works, even in your neighbor, that the Lord would give you words of His Word to share that His Word would come to your mind and that you would point them to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. This is why we're planting church. Covenant Reformed Reformed Church exists to call sinners to repentance. That they would know the power of God, that their lives may be restored and renewed and that they may be a people of hope as we are. May we give, be given the spirit of wisdom and insight, hearts that are open, eyes which see clearly. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these truths, these magnificent truths.
we do pray, God, that you would indeed open the eyes of our hearts. May we, as believers, be enlightened in fuller measure of the hope which you have called us to. We thank you for the glorious inheritance that we have of you. We thank you for the power which you have demonstrated in us through your Spirit, in Jesus Christ as he was raised from the dead. We thank you that Jesus is even now ruling and has all authority, power, and dominion. We thank you that he is the head of your church and that you fill your body. Father, help us to know these things in greater measure. Help us to be reminded of these truths. Help us to remind one another that we may again and again give all praise, glory, and honor to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.